Let us uh, reconvene here for our final session. The final session is entitled, The Hurt of Healing. And in this session, as the name implies, we will be looking at physical healing. Is it always God's will? Of course, the faith preachers say, yes, it is. Benny Hinn writes, He promises to heal all, everyone, any whatsoever, everything, all our diseases, that means not even a headache, sinus problem, not even a toothache, nothing. No sickness should come your way. God heals all your diseases. Joseph Prince says, You are destined to reign in life. You are called by God to be a success, to enjoy wealth, to enjoy health, to enjoy a life of victory. When you reign in life, you reign over sin, over poverty, over every curse, and over every sickness and disease. Bill Johnson Bethel Church, I refuse to create a theology that allows for sickness. He refuses to create, exactly. He refuses to create a theology that allows for sickness. This is nothing new. This goes all the way back to the early leaders of this movement. John Alexander Dowie is quoted as saying, Don't be stingy with your money. If you do, the Lord may be stingy with his cures. No better today, sir. Dowie would thunder at a debilitated cancer subject or a person with epilepsy. Well, sir, if you are not better, it is your own fault. You either don't trust in the Lord or you are concealing some infamous crime. So if you are sick, it is your fault. And that is the only conclusion that you can come to. If you begin with the premise that it is always God's will to be healed and a person prays for that healing... For days, weeks, months, years, some people for decades, but the healing does not come, then the question must be asked, whose fault is it? By definition, it cannot be God's fault, right? Because he's perfect. So the only other one to whom to look is the one who is sick. It's his fault, her fault, because of unconfessed sin in your life. You don't have enough faith. Maybe you haven't given enough money to the preacher. Or maybe you're not even saved. Lest you think I overstate their case, watch this from Kenneth Copeland. Well, I don't understand why God healed them and he won't heal me. Could it be? <laughs> By some stretch of the imagination, <laughs> Oh, probably not, but could it be <laughs> that is your fault, not God's? <laughs> oh, yeah. Say it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lest there be any doubt as to their position. If you're sick, it is your fault. You've got no one to blame but yourself. Watch this from Bill Johnson. There's this invitation by the God of the universe to come and meet with him. And in that meeting, be changed and become a transformer. It's in the dialogue with God. You're not getting answers to prayer, then change what you pray. Change how you pray. Do something because the problem isn't on his end of the equation. 
If it's not working, it's not him. If it's not working, it's not him. If it's not working, it's not him. In other words, it's your fault. Your fault. I take no joy in this, but I would point out that Bill Johnson's wife, Benny Johnson, died of cancer just about a year ago. She had it for three or four years. He says, if it's not working, it's not him. It's not God. So it was Bill Johnson's lack of faith. Benny Johnson's lack of faith. You see, what they teach doesn't even work for them. Doesn't even work for them. And if what they're teaching doesn't work for them, it ought to be a clue to them that there just might be something wrong with what they're preaching. So are there any proof texts to which the faith preachers would appeal that they say supports the belief that it's always God's will to be healed? There are a few of them. We don't have time to look at all of them, but a few here. Benny Hinn writes this. He says, And now the Bible says in Ephesians 5.23 that Jesus Christ is a Savior of the body. He is not only the Savior of the soul, He is the Savior of the body. Ladies and gentlemen, you can cry out, You are the Savior of my body, Lord Jesus. You are the Savior of my soul. If Jesus Christ is the Savior of the body, then your body ought to be made whole. Sounds logical, doesn't it? It does, until you actually read Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Friends, one need not be a Greek scholar to know that the body in Ephesians 5.23 is not talking about your flesh and blood body. It's talking about the church. And this kind of Mickey Mouse hermeneutics, this kind of Mickey Mouse Bible interpretation would be laughable, comical, if it weren't that it were leading so many people astray. Another one of their proof texts is Hebrews 13.8. Kenneth Copeland writes this, If healing was God's will in the past, it is still God's will now, and it will continue to be God's will in the future. Remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8, God will, God's will is to heal. He loves you, and through His amazing love, He is forever willing to heal every sickness, every disease, and every problem you may be facing. Dr. Michael Brown has the same take on Hebrews 13.8. The problem with the cessationist position is that they fail to appreciate that who Jesus was remains who He is. In their proof text is Hebrews 13.8. That is a really faulty logic. I'm a cessationist, and I absolutely affirm that Jesus is today who He has always been from eternity past. His character and His nature has not changed. God's character and His nature does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, the way in which God interacts with His creation absolutely does change over the centuries. Let me show you how quickly this logic break da breaks down. Are we still sacrificing animals today? Well, why not? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's will in the past, to paraphrase here Dr. Michael Brown, God's will in the past was to sacrifice animals. Why aren't we doing it today? 
because Jesus offered himself as the ultimate and final sacrifice, once for all sacrifice on the cross. Does that mean Jesus changed? No, of course not. But the way in which God interacts with us, his, his interaction with us has progressed over the centuries. So that's just, that's really bad, bad logic. There's lots of things that God did in the days of the Bible that he's not doing today. I've already named some of them. He's not parting Red Seas anymore. He's not making donkeys talk anymore. He's not making axe heads float. You know, has God changed? No. But the way in which he interacts with his creation absolutely does and has changed. Another one of their proof texts is the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy, thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Watch this from Bill Johnson. Explain to me what kingdom culture is. <laughs> well, culture is the way you do life. It's your value system. It's, mm-hmm. it's how you respond to relationships and money and all these things. It's just it's the, it's the preset values that you carry in your heart that determine how you do life. But kingdom culture is, is how heaven functions. And when we pray this prayer on earth as, as it is in heaven, it's not just a prayer about eternity. It's actually a prayer for right now. It's God's intention right now to influence my circle of influence with a manifestation of his presence in such a way that it mirrors heaven. That means there's no cancer there. There's not to be cancer here. So when we pray for someone to be healed, we do it based on the example given us in that prayer. There's none there. There's not to be any here. That is a complete misunderstanding of that passage, complete and total misunderstanding. Let me show you how quickly this logic breaks down. Uh, So based on what he's saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so whatever's not in heaven should not be here. Well, are there traffic lights in heaven? Highly doubt it. Uh, Are there crack houses in heaven? Absolutely not. All those things are here. Uh, Bill Johnson, up until a year ago, was married. Is there marriage in heaven? No. And I would point something out else out to you. What's he got on his face? Eyeglasses. Are there eyeglasses in heaven? Nope. And yet he's got a pair of them sitting on his nose. Dear friends, never trust a faith healer who's wearing eyeglasses. <laughs> Watch this from Bill Johnson. So do you believe that it's God's will to heal everyone? Is that like Bethel standard teaching? or? A... <laughs> I, I have to approach that it is. I have to approach that it's always God's will. And, uh, and my lead on that is everybody the Father sent Jesus to, he healed. So... He says he believes that it's always God's will to heal because everyone that the Father sent Jesus to, he healed. And you hear the charismatics say this a lot, that Jesus healed them all. Uh, there's no one that Jesus ever did not heal. Is that true? No, it's not true. John chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda. 
says there was a multitude, right, of the sick laying there at the pool of Bethesda. Multitude. How many did Jesus heal? One. One. It's interesting when you read that passage, it says that a multitude of the sick were laying there waiting for an angel to come and stir the waters. I personally think that that was kind of like a Jewish legend that that would happen. I don't think there was actually an angel that stirred the waters. I think that was a Jewish myth, a Jewish belief. But uh, anyway, the, the myth was that, that if the water got troubled, then whoever went in the water would be healed. Uh, <laughs> a few months ago, back in February, I was uh, Jim Osmond and I were in Israel. We were doing a tour of Israel, and we went to the pool of Bethesda. It's been discovered, and we know exactly where it is. And you can see it down there. It's still got some, some water in it. And, and Jim <laughs> turned to me. He said, he said, if I see the slightest ripple in that water, he said, I'm picking you up and throwing you in there. <laughs> Watch this from Bill Johnson. And, and so it was a different idea. It wasn't like, if, if it's your, Lord, if it's your will. Oh, no, or, no. no. So no, it's I'm not like um, having that um, in your prayer or in your thought life. Because in your th it's like practical theology. Like you approach everybody like the Lord's going to move right now. Yeah, yeah. And I can't pray if it's your will. Because for me, that's a prayer of unbelief. I can't pray if it's your will to heal. Because that's a prayer of unbelief. So if you pray, Lord, if it is your will to heal someone, then you're praying a prayer of unbelief. Never mind that Jesus himself in the garden said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. And never mind what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in his inspired word. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So who are you going to believe? Bill Johnson or the half-brother of Jesus Christ writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God? I don't know. <laughs> Jump ball on that one. <laughs> Another one of their texts, 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. Watch this from Joseph Prince. Let's look at 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. He says, uh, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, the Apostle John would not express something that would not be God's will. God would not allow uh, this statement to be put in His holy scriptures if it's not inspired. Every scripture, the Bible says all scripture is God-breathed. Okay, so yes, every scripture is God-breathed, but to take 3 John 2 as a blanket promise for guaranteed money and guaranteed healing is reading a meaning into this verse that is not there. John was writing a letter to his friend Gaius. 
And John opens his letter in much the same way that you and I might open a letter or an email that we write to one of our friends today. Basically, John is saying this, Dear Gaius, I hope that this finds you doing well. Friends, that's all in the world he's saying. This is not a guaranteed promise for money and healing. This was a common greeting in a letter 2,000 years ago in a little bit different form remains a common greeting that we use today. I hope this finds you doing well. Not a guaranteed promise for money and healing. I've noticed something in the last five years or so is that Word of Faith in AR is becoming increasingly Roman Catholic. There's a lot of parallels between Roman Catholicism and the charismatic movement, health and wealth gospel. Uh, one of which is that they both rely on extra-biblical sources of authority for the word faith in AR, it's dreams, visions, trips to heaven, that kind of stuff. For the Roman Catholic Church, it's church tradition, the magisterium, um, papal bulls when the pope speaks ex cathedra that carries with it divine authority. They also have uh, a, a, a very similar interest on signs and wonders. For the word faith movement, it's lengthening people's legs. It's, you know, gold dust and angel feathers falling out of the sky, that kind of nonsense. For the word of faith, I mean, for the Roman Catholic Church, it's weeping statues and finding the image of Mary burned into your toast and that kind of stuff. And they also have, Word Faith is, is adopting an increasingly Roman Catholic view of communion. Now, those of you who are familiar with Roman Catholicism, you may know that for Roman Catholics, communion is not symbolic, that the bread and the wine, or the grape juice or whatever, Roman Catholic Church wine, uh, that when they have communion, those elements literally turn into the actual physical flesh of Jesus and his literal physical blood, doctrine of transubstantiation. And you eat his flesh, you drink his blood, and you get a shot of righteousness, infused righteousness. It's the theological equivalent of spinach to Popeye. You know, you know those old Popeye cartoons, and Popeye was, you know, he was kind of not a real strong guy, but Brut was Brutus or Bluto? Bluto? Bluto, 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 you know, the big mean guy, and he was always beating up on Popeye. Right at the last second, it looks like Popeye was a goner. Somehow, somebody gets some spinach in his pipe, you know, and it makes him all big and strong, and then he beats up Bluto. So, but then after a while, it wears off, and he's got to get some more spinach next time he gets Bluto. So it's, this, it's the same kind of thing with the Roman Catholic Church. You, you take communion, get a shot of Jesus, but after a while, you know, you got to get some more Jesus. You got to get some more infused righteousness. Word of faith is adopting a similar view. They they are teaching now that the way to keep your body healthy is to take communion every single day. Because those elements apparently become the actual flesh and blood of Jesus and it gives strength to your body, which is a Roman Catholic way of looking at communion, first and foremost. B, uh, communion is not something we do at our, in the privacy of our own home. You know, sitting at the kitchen table watching the Andy Griffith show. That's not when we do communion. We do communion 
with the gathered body of believers, the local church. That's when we do communion, not, not by ourselves to get rid of aches and pains. They all claim to be able to, they claim to have the power to heal people. Andrew Womack, there on the left, when COVID came out, he actually said, I have a video of this. Uh, in fact, let me, I want to skip some of my own slides. I want to show this to you, see if I have it. Watch this from Andrew Womack. Watch this. This was aired in March of 2020, right when COVID was getting ramped up, okay? Everybody was scared about it. Watch. And so I really believe that on a personal level, I have zero fear that I can reach out and touch anybody who's got sickness or something on them. And I believe that I am just as protected as Jesus is. Instead of having this fear about everybody contaminating me, man, I look at it this way, that I've got the supernatural power of God living on the inside of me, and if I come in with sickness, I can reach out and touch That's them, right. and healed. my healing will be transmitted instead of their sickness. Amen. Huh. So, who knew all this time, there's the cure for COVID. <laughs> Andrew Womack. You know, for, forget about the Fauci ouchie. You don't have to take the... <laughs> Andrew Womack. Um, so he can reach out in healing power that's just stored up in him like this spiritual battery will, will go out, out of him into whoever is sick. <laughs> well, Todd White, you know, claims to be able to lengthen people's legs, command pain to go and things like this. Here's my challenge to Andrew Womack and Todd White. Open challenge. If you can do what you say you can do, then the first place you ought to be going is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Full of kids sick with cancer. There's six different St. Jude Children's Research Hospitals around the country. Don't have to drive very far to get to one. In fact, I believe there's one in Shreveport. Three and a half hours down the road. Todd White lives in Keller. Go to St. Jude. If you can command legs to grow, you can command cancer cells to die. Heal those kids with cancer. Tick tock. Time's a waste. Kids are dying. Todd White and Andrew Womack are frauds. Charlatans. You won't catch them anywhere near a hospital. Unless they're patients. Which that does happen. Foundational to the faith preacher's teaching that healing is always God's will is their teaching that healing is provided for in the atonement. The word that we give to the work that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And they all appeal to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Whoops. Watch this from Andrew Womack. Jesus placed your and my sickness and diseases, infirmities, 
upon Jesus and He bore them 2,000 years ago. If He already paid for your healing, how can you doubt that you are healed? So if He's already paid for your healing, how can you doubt that you're healed? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, they say, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And they look at these two words that I have highlighted here, griefs and sorrows, and they say that another way to render these two words is as sickness and pain, respectively. So therefore, Jesus bore our sickness, He carried our pain, and because Jesus bore our sickness, He carried our pain, we should not have to. That's the logic. Well, in a sense they're right, because these two words, griefs and sorrows, can be rendered as sickness and pain. Those are two legitimate renderings of those words, Hebrew words. So how do you know which rendering is correct? Well, you know which rendering is correct by the context of the passage. How do we know the context? Well, we just look at the context. The very next verse makes it really clear. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So very clearly, the primary context of Isaiah 53 is not physical healing. It's spiritual healing. Not healing from sickness and disease, healing from sin. We see that from these two words, transgressions and iniquities. In fact, read Isaiah 53. Read the whole thing. Go back into chapter 52, all the way through chapter 53. What do we see over and over? Sin. Transgression. He bore the sins of many. Iniquities. The primary context is not healing from cancer or arthritis. It's being healed. It's being forgiven of our sin. So, what is the answer to our question? Is physical healing provided for in the atonement? I might surprise you with the answer. Yes. Yes. Physical healing is provided for in the atonement. Dear friends, the reason that I'm crippled, the reason that I have cerebral palsy, is because of sin. Not my personal sin, but the sin of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they ate of that fruit, whatever that fruit was, we don't know that it was an apple. That's just what is in the coloring books. Could have been a pomegranate for all we know. But when they ate of that fruit, sin entered the world. So did sickness and disease and ultimately death, physical and spiritual death. So the reason I'm crippled is because of sin. The reason many of you are wearing eyeglasses right now, that's because of sin. Not your personal sin. The sin of Adam and Eve. Next time you catch a cold, you can blame Adam and Eve for that. <laughs> it's just one of the consequences of living in a fallen world. So when Jesus came and He died on the cross, He paid for our sins. He also paid for all of the consequences of those sins, one of which is sickness and disease. So yes, physical healing is provided for in the atonement. But... Here's where the faith preachers get it very, very wrong. Not all of the benefits of the atonement are promised to be fully realized this side of heaven. Okay? Not all the benefits of the atonement are promised to be fully realized this side of heaven. Some of the benefits of Jesus' atonement we will not realize until 
the other side of heaven. And healing from sickness and disease is one of those benefits. To give you another example of this, a glorified body is also provided for in the atonement. Raise your hand if you've got your glorified body. <laughs> Nobody? Nobody here today has their glorified body? Well, why not? It's provided for in the atonement. It's not promised to be realized here. Dear friends, when we die, for all of us in here who know Christ as Savior and Lord, when we die, we're not taking our sickness and disease with us. No more cancer. No more arthritis. No more multiple sclerosis. Why? Because our healing has been provided for, bought and paid for with the blood, death, and bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But dear friends, to be real honest with you, when we die and go to heaven, I'm not sure it's even going to cross our minds that we no longer have our sickness and disease. I'm not sure we're even going to give it a second thought. Because, dear ones, we will have better things to think about. We will be in the presence of Christ. We will know Him. We will worship Him fully, unencumbered by sin. He is the joy and the glory of heaven. He is who makes heaven, heaven. So many people, when I hear them talk about heaven, they speak of it like it's this big family reunion. You've heard this? You know, I, oh, I'm, you know what, what are you looking forward to about heaven? I want to see grandma. I want to see grandpa. I want to see mom and dad. You know, I want to, I want to be reunited with my family. You know. Will we be reunited with our loved ones who preceded us in death? Provided, of course, they were in Christ when they did so? Yes. Yes. But dear friends, that's not the joy of heaven. The joy of heaven is Christ. Knowing Him. If, you're, if your view of, of heaven is a family reunion, then may I submit to you that your view of heaven is far too small? May I submit to you that your view of Christ is far too small? He is the joy and the glory of heaven. He is who makes heaven, heaven. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. He is who makes heaven, heaven. What of the biblical record? Can we look through the Bible and find examples of faithful servants of God who were not physically healed? Absolutely. Trophimus was left sick at Miletus. Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. The Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach in his frequent ailments. Now I find that very interesting. Notice that when the Apostle Paul heard about Timothy's health problems, 
Paul did not write to Timothy and say, uh, Timothy, go see a faith healer. Be sure you sow a seed into his ministry so you can reap a harvest. Take a little wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments. I find that interesting on yet another level because Paul wrote that about the year A.D. 64, about A.D. 64. Let's back up 10 years to the year A.D. 54. What's happening in the year A.D. 54? The events of Acts chapter 19 are happening. What's happening in Acts chapter 19? Extraordinary miracles of healing. So extraordinary that handkerchiefs and aprons were being taken from the Apostle Paul and delivered to sick people, and God was healing the sick through these agents of the handkerchiefs and aprons in the year A.D. 54. But you fast forward 10 years to the year A.D. 64, no handkerchiefs and aprons going forth from the Apostle Paul. What changed? Something pretty significant changed, did it not? Could it be that even in that 10-year span that the apostolic gifts, the sign gifts, had already begun to fade away? Had already begun to fulfill the purpose for which they had been given? Interesting. Two years later, 2 Timothy, Paul was with Trophimus and he left him sick. He didn't heal him. He didn't lay hands on him. didn't give him a prayer cloth. He left him sick. Interesting internal evidence that even by that time that the apostolic gifts had already begun to fade away. Job. Job is the 800-pound theological gorilla sitting in the living room of the prosperity preachers, none of whom want to admit is there. Job is a problem for the faith movement because here you have a man who was upright, blameless, walked with God, and yet God still allowed Satan to come and to strike from Job everything that he had. His possessions destroyed. His family dead. His own health deteriorated. Job suffered horrifically in ways that none of us can even imagine. So what do they do with Job? It's hard to ignore an entire book out of the Bible. So you know what the, the prosperity preachers do with Job? They turn the tables on Job. And they say the reason these calamities fell upon Job is that they were all results of his negative confessions. Job spoke negative words, and he brought all these things upon himself. Job tapped into the dark side of the force. It was all his fault. Do they really teach this? Yes, they do. Joyce Meyer. She says this, writes this, For the thing which I greatly fear comes upon me, and that of which I am afraid befalls me. Fear is a terrible emotion, a self-fulfilling one. Job had fears concerning his children and finally reached a place in his life where he saw his fears coming to pass. The Bible says it will be unto us as we believe. Totally takes that verse out of context. That principle works in the negative as well as the positive. So it's all Job's fault. Job spoke negative words and he brought all these calamities upon himself. Completely misses the point of the book of Job. Misses it entirely. Dear friends, do you know what the point of the book of Job is? The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. God can do whatever he wants to do. And you know what? 
Sometimes that means making us sick. Now, if you were to tell that to somebody who's been watching Joel Osteen, that God makes people sick, they'd probably pass out right on the spot. You know, they get the vapors. They just wouldn't be able to handle that kind of... But if God doesn't make people sick, then someone needs to tell him that because he apparently thinks that he does. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. The Lord said unto Moses, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Friends, that's God talking there. I don't know how you get around that. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God speaking again, Deuteronomy 32. See now that I, I am he, there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Put that verse in your prosperity pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Sometimes God makes people sick. Now, why does he do that? Does God make people sick just to watch us suffer? No, no, a thousand times no. But sometimes God does make us sick to sanctify us and glorify himself. I've met so many people over the course of my traveling and preaching, almost 20 years now, so, so many. One of them is this man. His name is Rich. Lived in Long Island, New York. He lives in heaven now. But um, Rich was born able-bodied, nothing wrong with him at all. God saved him when he was 19 years old. And then just a few years later, uh, Rich had a motorcycle accident, and it left him completely paralyzed. Quadriplegic, no use of his legs at all. Very, very limited use. Just a little bit of motion in one of his hands, just enough to operate a joystick on his electric wheelchair. And he lived with his brother and his brother's wife. And so neither of whom were believers, but Rich was. And every, Rich would ask his brother and sister-in-law to get him up every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning they would get Rich up and they would bathe him, dress him, put him in his electric wheelchair. And Rich would drive his electric wheelchair five miles one way to church every single Sunday. Even when it was raining, they would put a poncho over him, and he would drive his electric wheelchair five miles one way to church in the rain. The only thing that kept Rich from going to church was if it was snowing, and his wheelchair just wouldn't operate in the snow. But other than that, he was there. The pastor of this church, he told me, he said, he said, Justin, Rich is the most faithful church member I've got. He had bumper stickers on the back of his wheelchair with scripture verses on them. He was quite literally a rolling testimony for Christ. Friends, God is glorified in that. God's glorified in that. How many people saw this man Sunday in, Sunday out, week after week after week, driving his electric wheelchair five miles, sometimes in the rain, with a smile on his face, scripture on the back of his wheelchair. 
God is glorified in that. And yet, we've got the prosperity preachers today telling us we should have our best life now. Joel Osteen talks about how one day he and his wife, Victoria, were believing God for a good parking spot at the mall. But all the good parking spots you see were taken. But they just kept believing God for a good parking spot. And so they were just driving around in circles. And they, they came down the aisle. Wouldn't you know it, the car in the very front spot backed out and pulled away just in time for Joel and Victoria to pull in get that good parking spot right up front. And Joel Osteen says, friends, that's the favor of God. Really, that's the favor of God, is it? Tell that to Rich. Tell that to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who right now are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Tell that to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Iran, in Syria, North Korea. Tell them that the favor of God is getting a good parking spot at the mall in the United States of America. Are you kidding me? The prosperity preachers have no understanding of the gospel. None. They have no understanding of what it means to suffer for the glory of Christ. Philippians 1 verse 29, For to you it has been granted not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. They have no understanding of that. They have no theology for that at all. Oh, it's easy to call yourself a Christian when everything's good, everything's you know, plenty of money in the bank and our bodies are working and healthy and all that. Oh, that's great. Wait till times are hard. Wait till the trials come. Wait till the cancer comes. Wait till the car accident comes. Wait till you lose your job. Wait till you get persecuted. Sometimes God is most glorified in us. Not when things are good, but when things are hard. And yet through the suffering, through the sickness, through the persecution, we remain faithful to Christ and we speak well of Him. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Galatians, But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I came and preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise nor loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. Dear friends, that's the Apostle Paul. This is the author of roughly a third of the New Testament. And he was sick. He was sick. Elisha had a double portion anointing.
Check. Check. Okay. All right. Elisha had a double portion anointing of the great prophet Elijah, and yet Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. Dear friends, it is a matter of biblical record that not everyone who loved the Lord and served Him faithfully walked in perfect divine health. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not up for debate. It's simply a matter of biblical record. Does God still heal people today? Yes, I believe He does, but only when it is His sovereign will to do so. Does He always heal people today? No, He does not. He wasn't doing it in the days of the Bible, and He's not doing it today either. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland and George Pearsons. No, we're part of the name it, claim it, reap it. Yes. That's who we are. Well, and George, hey, we named it, claimed it, blabbed it, grabbed it, and we have it. We do have it. <laughs> we're the one with the airplane. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Airplane, zuh. Zuh. Can, can you even wrap your head around that kind of arrogance? We're the ones with, we're the ones with the airplane, zuh. Airplane, zuh. You know where their money comes from? A lot of their money comes from? Widows. Little old ladies whose husbands have died and they're left with this money and they can't get out anymore. They're at home. They're in a retirement home. Maybe they're in a nursing home and their only church, tragically, is this garbage that they see on their television. And they send in their money to the man of God. One day, these false teachers will stand before a thrice holy God and they will have to give an account for what they are doing to people. They will have to give an account for telling sick people, send me money and God will heal you of cancer. Send me money, God will heal your child. And they will give an account for the reproach that they are bringing upon the name of Christ. I would submit to you that the deepest, darkest, hottest part of hell will be reserved for those people who had the most exposure to the truth and yet rejected it. The deepest, darkest, hottest part of hell is not going to be populated with people like Adolf Hitler and Pol Pot and Mussolini and Jack the Ripper and all these kinds of... Saddam Hussein. Are they in hell? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no doubt. But the worst part of hell, and I believe there are levels of punishment in hell, the worst part of hell will be reserved for those people, not like Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein, these folks, Joel Osteen, because they have, they've got the same Bible we've got. They have the most exposure to the truth. They claim to be preachers, and yet they're preaching a false Jesus and a false gospel. And I tremble for them. 
Sometimes people accuse me, oh, Justin, you just, you're just jealous because your ministry is not as big as theirs are. If, they, if, people, if people have said that if they only knew, jealous of, of Kenneth Copeland, I am the furthest thing from jealous for them. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland. I want to show you two video clips from the same sermon. From the same sermon. Watch this. And so I began to speak to my hair. It started turning gray. Well, I went to him about this and I said, I, I don't care. It's scriptural to, to become gray-headed. But you said you're doing this because of the word of faith. So I'm going to talk to my hair. I started talking to it and it started becoming gray all around. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not having that. Nope, 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 no, 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 no. Stand there in the, in the mirror and look at it and say, gray hair, bye. <laughs> and it's gone. So Kenneth Copeland started getting gray hair, and he, so he talked to it. Talked to his gray hair, and now all of his hair is black. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland is 86 years old. I may have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. There ain't nobody, nobody going to convince me that Kenneth Copeland has got a head full of just for men in his hair. <laughs> My hair is turning gray and turning loose. <laughs> Watch this clip. Now, the, the clip you're about to see is literally like six minutes after he said that. Six minutes later. Watch. And I got short of breath over in a prison and for Mike Barber. Never did have any pain. I, I could kind of feel that my heart rate was up high. So I got checked. And they said, well, you need a pacemaker. And I said, well, Lord, I'll just get that pacemaker by faith. He said, no. And he used an aviation term with me. He said, you're too far behind the power curve. He said, take the pacemaker by faith. So I prayed over it. So the, then they, <laughs> the doctor had me on the table. <laughs> they don't put you completely out. They have to build a pouch for this thing. Well, I thought it was going to be about that big. Well, come to find out it was, but the battery's about that big. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, well, pacemaker, you belong to me now. That means you belong to God. And you're in a Holy Ghost body. Amen. And you're going to work right. Yes. Well, it had a defibrillator in it. <laughs> so let me get this straight. He could talk to his gray hair and make it turn brown, and yet he's got a pacemaker? These people are such liars. 
such deceivers. I thought, I mean, I mean, my goodness, if you can talk to your gray hair, surely you can talk to your heart. I'd say your heart's a bit more important than a few gray hairs. <laughs> Why are they sick? Essek W. Kenyon, the grandfather of this movement, died from a tumor. Kenneth Hagin, the father of the modern word faith movement, died from heart disease. Oral Roberts died from heart disease. Benny Hinn, recurrent heart disease. Uh, Jan Crouch died of a stroke. Uh, she was the co-founder and co-president of TBN. I, I know the way she looks. But. <laughs> and Nora Lamb, this is the faith healer that I went to see when I was a teenager and I got wrapped up in this stuff for a while. Uh, she had a massive stroke in 2003, died early the next year. Friends, the faith healers get sick just like us common folk do. And if what they preach doesn't work for them, that ought to be a clue to them. There just might, just might be something wrong with what they're preaching. Frederick K.C. Price called himself an apostle. He died... February of 2022, he died not just with COVID, but he died from COVID. Marcus Lamb, founder and president of Daystar, second largest Christian network, use that term loosely, Christian network next to TBN. He died summer of last year, and he didn't die just with COVID, he died from COVID. Do you know what Marcus Lamb was doing about not even two months before he died? Marcus Lamb was hosting a um, praise-a-thon. They called it share-a-thon. Praise-a-thon's TBN, but share-a-thon. So this is their way of bringing in a whole bunch of money for their network. You know, and um, several days of programming Send us money. Send us money. God will bless you. I, I say last year. This was 2021. My bad. Summer of 2021. So in April of 2021, he was having this share and he was telling people that the surest way to protect yourself from COVID is to sow a seed into Daystar Ministries. Give Daystar your money and God will protect you from covid Six weeks later, he's dead from it. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. According to the faith preachers, if you are not healed, almost certainly the reason is, is you just... You just don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith to be healed. Watch this from Benny Hinn. My friend, hear this well. The reason people lose their healing is because they begin questioning if God really did it. We receive it by faith. We keep it by faith. Say by faith. Kind and touched his garment. Now, 
before she touched, verse 1 to 8 says, for she said, for she said, for she said, say that with me. In other words, she knew. She knew that she knew that she knew she's going to get a miracle. First key, she heard. Second key, she came. Third key, she knew. When you know, you're on the way. But if you sit there and say, I'm not sure, you just lost it. What does laying your hands on a human have to do with healing? Well, really nothing. We touch people all the time, they're still sick. What he's looking for is permission. The power to heal is always present. But having permission to heal is held up by humanity and their lack of faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. Having permission to heal is held up by humanity and their lack of faith. So if you're not healed, it's your fault. It's your lack of faith. You just don't have enough faith to be healed. Is faith required for us to receive healing from God? Dear friends, let me put it this way. If God has granted to you the faith to be saved, don't let anybody ever tell you that you don't have enough faith to be healed. Because being saved is by far the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is not when the dead are, is not when the, the blind see, it's not when the lame walk. The greatest miracle is when the dead are raised. And not physically dead, spiritually dead. Raised to newness of life in Christ. That is the greatest miracle. I have all the faith in the world, dear ones, that Jesus could heal me of my cerebral palsy right now. God could, make, could heal me instantly. He could heal me right now, and I could jump off of this stage, do cartwheels down the aisle, and make, he can make me run like a deer. And even if he did that, though, even if he did, that miracle, as incredible as that would be, that would pale in comparison to what God did for me when he saved me from my sin. That is the greatest miracle of all. And if that miracle has taken place in your life, don't let anybody ever tell you you don't have enough faith to be healed. If you have been granted the faith to be saved, you have certainly got the faith to be healed. That's the greatest miracle. The new birth. And so I want to close with the gospel. Has there been a time in your life when you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God that you are a sinner? That you have broken God's laws? Just like when we break laws on earth, there is a penalty to be paid. How much more so when we break the laws of God? But because we have sinned against God who is eternal, the punishment of that sin is also eternal. And every single one of us has transgressed the laws of God. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, you have. So have I. 
The Bible says, let God be true in every man a liar. We are all liars. Thou shalt not steal. If you have ever taken something that does not belong to you, then you're a thief. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If you have ever used God's name in an irreverent way, that's blasphemy. And we, we blaspheme God's name not only in word. It's not just saying OMG. We blaspheme God's name in word and in deed. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And don't let yourself off the hook too quickly. Jesus says if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. If you've ever looked at another person with lust, you're an adulterer. We have all broken God's laws in word, in deed, and in thought thousands of times. We have accrued an incomprehensibly vast sin debt to God. And no amount of good works will overcome that debt. There's not enough little old ladies in the world that you can help across the street to overcome your debt of sin to God. Our works are as filthy rags before a thrice holy God. There is no way we can save ourselves. All of us stand condemned. That's the bad news. But there is good news. And the good news of the gospel is this, is that God has made a way for you to escape His wrath. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life, truly God, truly man. This one person with two natures lived a perfect life to the perfect satisfaction of God. And then Jesus willingly laid down His life on the cross. His life was not taken. He gave it. And on the cross, this perfect person offered His perfect life as a perfect sacrifice to perfectly satisfy the perfect wrath of God. Satisfied God's wrath, died on the cross, three days later, bodily raised from the dead, proving Himself to be who He said He was, God in human flesh. And the only way to be saved, the only way to have the wrath of God removed is to have the righteousness of someone else. We have no righteousness on our own. We must have the righteousness of Christ. How do we obtain that righteousness? Not of works. Lay your works down. They'll profit you nothing. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, counted to us, when we turn from sin and place our trust in Him. Our sins were imputed to Him on the cross. His righteousness imputed, counted towards us, when we turn from sin, repent of sin, and place our trust in Him, in Him alone, in what He accomplished for us. Have you truly trusted the Lord Jesus? Have you truly repented of sin? And I want to say something about repentance because that's something that so many people really don't understand. They think repentance 
is just, you know, they, maybe you've heard this. The, the word for repentance in the Greek is the word metanoia. It means to change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. But dear friends, the full meaning of a term in Scripture is not determined by the dictionary. It is determined by the Holy Spirit of God who places these words in their proper context. And when you look at true repentance, biblical repentance, it does include a change in mind, but it's more than that. It's not only a change in our mind, it's a change in our heart. It's a change in our desires. It's a change in our affections. And true repentance comes when God grants repentance. Repentance is not something that we can do on our own. Repentance is, is not a work of us. Repentance is a work of God. And when God grants repentance, yes, our minds are changed, but everything about us has changed. Our desires are changed. Our affections are changed. We begin to love what God loves. We hate what God hates. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not saying a Christian never sins. But please understand this. If you are truly a Christian, if you are truly a new creature in Christ, if your heart of stone has been taken out and replaced by a heart of flesh, you will have new desires. You will have new affections. And when we sin as Christians, it grieves us. As Christians, we can and do sin. But dear friends, a Christian stumbles into sin. A Christian does not swim in it. A Christian does not relish sin. A Christian does not look for opportunities to sin. A Christian does not plan out as sin. When we sin as Christians, it grieves us. Because we understand that our sin grieves God. He has been so good, so kind, so merciful, so patient, so faithful. And yet when we sin against Him, it grieves us. Because we understand that our sin grieves Him. Does your sin grieve you? Do you love what God loves? Do you hate what God hates? Do you have a desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you pursuing Him? Are you pursuing holiness? Salvation is not perfection, but it is direction. Which direction is your life going? And if you're not certain of where you are in the, your relationship with the Lord Jesus, if you're not certain that the new birth has taken place in your life, if you're not certain that greatest of all miracles has transpired in your life, then I would encourage you to get real honest before God. Confess your sins to Him. If you will confess your sins before Christ, if you will come to Him empty-handed, if you will come to Him just as much wanting a Savior from your sin as wanting a Savior from hell, but if you desire Him, He will save you. You will pass from death to life. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you will come to Christ empty-handed, trusting Him and Him alone, desiring Him, He will save you. You'll pass from death to life. And Jesus Himself will be your reward and my reward. 
and we will enjoy Him for all of eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. Let's close in a word of prayer and then I'm sure Pastor Trey will come and have some concluding remarks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for all of these who have come. I thank you for the desire that you have placed in the heart of your sheep to be fed with the truth. Um, Lord, may we be sanctified in the truth of your word. May we be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. It can be easy to be discouraged as we see the preponderance of false teachers, but this is not something that should surprise us. Your word tells us that this would be the case, and it is. So may we not be discouraged. May we have a renewed confidence in your word, not only its inerrancy, not only its authority, but its efficiency for everything that we need to be thoroughly equipped to every good work. Ask your blessings on each and every one who is here every marriage that is represented, every family, every church that is represented here. Lord, we ask your blessings for the glory of Christ our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give Justin a big round of applause for coming today. Thank you, Justin. And just a few quick announcements. If you uh, have purchased a ticket to be here, thank you for that. All that goes to Justin Peters Ministry. If you perhaps would like to support him further, you can do that online or anything you put in the box today goes to Justin Peters Ministry as well. Our next conference, we try to have about four a year. Jason Lyle will be here in October, and uh, Martha Peace will be doing a ladies' conference in November. And next year, we have uh, 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 several good ones that are coming in. Uh, if you've bought a ticket, you will be, for now and forever, Reminded of future speakers that are coming in. Uh, if, you're, if you're here and you're not on that list, just make sure you like the church at Pecan Creek on Facebook. And we announce our next conferences there as well. Uh, Justin will be hanging out for a few minutes. I know some of you wanted to speak to him, had a few questions. And uh, that will be your opportunity. All right. Thank you. You are dismissed.